Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the election status. Dr. Simone Gold joins me to talk COVID vaccine and mask mandates, Pence's potential power, and Nashville and trust in law enforcement. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's first five. I'm going to do the shortest little review of where we are in the election. Later in the show, we're going to talk about the quandary facing Vice President Pence, new litigation just filed related to that and his ability, whether or not he has the authority under the Constitution and statutes to reject electors. But in the first five today, I just want to talk about where we are in the big picture in the election. Uh, as everyone likely knows, we have January 6th, the upcoming date in Washington, when the joint House and Senate meeting will occur to open the envelopes of the states that have sent in their electoral votes. But we're in a place, it's really interesting actually, you know, in this show, the last, I don't know, month or more than month, every day, I, I love, I have interest in so many political topics, but pretty much every, everything that's going on boils down to, it's about COVID, coronavirus, policy surrounding that, and it's about the election, election fraud, and policy surrounding that. And on both of these issues, if you take one message away from our show today, the time to fight is now. The time to fight is now, not later. On the election front, I'll just uh, briefly mention to you Russ Ramsland, who's joined me on the show numerous times. He is the founder of ASOG, Allied Security Operations Group here in Dallas. They're the ones who did the forensic review of the uh, Dominion voting machines in Antrim County, Michigan. Stated yesterday, as well as Patrick Byrne, who's been on this show and also was, um, said this yesterday, the day before that, that they've been looking at data, actually seeing the data, the proof, that the elections in Georgia, the election data in Georgia was being transmitted to communist China. Unclear any legitimate reason for that. Sidney Powell, a brilliant attorney, a national level prominent attorney, uh, working not for President Trump, but really on behalf of President Trump in the federal courts has also been saying she's trying to get information to President Trump so he understands how much interference occurred in our elections in 2020. She mentions Russia, China, and Iran. So we have that fact. We have new information. We have is something in the realm of 5,000 affidavits filled out by everyday Americans in the states where there is a, a, a serious question about who actually won the election if you only count legal votes. And in those states, affidavits by people pouring in, explaining all of what um, they saw, just truly outrageous behavior. And uh, I'm running through a litany of things that ought to be on your mind to make, to the po make the point. Right now, it does not seem that any court in America seems to care. State courts, state trial courts, the highest court in states, United States Supreme Court, federal courts, they all are kind of putting their fingers in their ears and saying, la, 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 I can't hear this. I won't listen to this. I won't respond to this. This is, it is time to fight on this election outcome now. This is the most egregious behavior by the courts who have the authority to actually allow the parties deeply concerned about what actually happened on November, November 3rd, and then since that time, have the ability to order that discovery to occur, to actually assess the evidence, and all the courts, including the Supreme Court, trying to ignore that. I'm gonna to get to Sidney Powell in a moment, but I will tell you folks, it's kind of interesting, this psychology uh, that is behind this, I'm going to stay out of it, because it seems to also be afflicting Attorney General Barr, who, as has essentially, he's announced he is leaving, but he is essentially at one point made a statement to the effect, didn't see enough evidence uh, of election fraud that would change the outcome. Coming from a man who hasn't seen the evidence, coming from a man who does not know what has been uncovered by Sidney Powell, by Lynn Wood, by all of, by, by Rudy Giuliani, by Jenna Ellis. I mean, massive amounts of data and every legal institutional authority in our country seems to be saying, 
I, I, I can't judge that. I can't hear that. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to listen to it. Um, I will tell you, even I will, there's a little bit of good news uh, coming out of Washington, and we'll talk about more later about Vice President Pence, but there are more legislators on the Republican side, and should be Democrat too, but in Washington saying they will stand up on January 6th. They will challenge the electors. But other little interesting things, um, you know, j just are kind of, of mind-blowing that these new pieces of information that continue to, continue to come out. One is um, a, um, a mathematician who testified, I think, in Arizona, one of the states he t testified about the statistical impossibility of the outcome of the election, just, just ran through the absurdity of the election results. He said, the same guy's name is Bobby Pitton, P-I-T-O-N, he dug in and analyzed the votes in the state of Pennsylvania, coming up with a uh, fact which is just kind of breathtaking. 500,000, that would be actually the same as half a million voters. He called them unique last names. Essentially, he went through and found 500,000 voters for whom, as he dug in to put their, name, put their name in to study, find anything about them on the internet, nothing about them. No, uh, no uh, family, no records, no, uh, no relations, no record of birth, no obituaries, nothing. Like these people, as the Ramsland team calls them, are ghost voters. They're not really there. He's saying 500,000 voters, which would change everything in Pennsylvania, are people for whom on the statistical likelihood that there are 500, half a million voters with absolutely no records to be found about them online is absurd, as or is he saying statistically, I don't know if he said impossible, but you know, crazy. So we have that little factoid. Um, so we have in Congress the battle coming up, uh, what happened on January 6th, we have Mo Brooks, um, who is the, um, the first one who spoke up, a Republican congressman from Louisiana. He's now saying he's got dozens, dozens of representatives who are saying they are going to object on January 6th. So you're beginning to see a little bit of a shift between this kind of brick wall of Republicans don't want to get involved, don't want to help Trump. He's now saying he's got dozens of people going to challenge the electors on January 6th. Uh, this is very, very good. Um, and you had, actually, I, I want to give credit to one of our Texas congressmen. I think it's his first term. I'm trying to remember if it's first or second term, but very new, very young guy, Lance Gooden, um, uh, who is a Republican and has not, in my at least as I pay attention to news, really been outspoken at all. He has stepped up and said, not only is he going to object, he's pressuring the two Texas Republican senators from Texas, Cruz and Cornyn, saying they have to, um, they got to step up also. But I want to go back to Barr for a second and then Sidney Powell and then wrap up the first five. On the subject of Barr, he's actually out, was out as of December 23rd. But all this time, all this election fraud evidence, all of what he could have unleashed the FBI officials to investigate, all that he could have done was just left on the table. I mean, little noises here and there, a little, well, we could look into this, but the serious investigation that should have occurred just didn't coming out of our current Department of Justice. It just didn't. And there are people speculating, why is it? Why wouldn't Barr be more curious? Why wouldn't he be more incensed about the idea of the invasion of our election system by uh, election fraud, wherever it's coming from? The Democrats, Russia, Iran, China, whatever it is. It's the most among the most sacred institutions in America, free elections. And Barr didn't want to get involved. And I'll tell you what I think some people are pining about him because it really goes to the larger point of why many people are a little bit afraid to speak up and why actually you're starting to see a bit of a cascading outside of those members of Congress now saying they'll speak up, but cascading by media sources saying, okay, come on, Trump, you know, nice fight, you try, but give in, you lost. New York Post being the latest to pile in on that. But I think Attorney General Barr, when he came into the Department of Justice, he came in uh, with the notion essentially that he needed to clean up. That it was, you know, it was a mess in there. Uh, had, you know, just obviously fallen to the wolves uh, in, with respect to how they treated uh, President Trump and how they cooked up the Russia collusion hoax, how they concocted the whole long theory. I mean, everything they did, he went in to clean up. And the theory that's emerging about why Barr wasn't more curious and determined to get the truth is this concept of the people can't handle the truth. That what Sidney Powell is raising. The idea that our elections have been actually 
fraudulent for a decade, perhaps two decades, that we've had massive electronic election fraud occurring in our country. And so none of us really know when you get, get to, none of us knows, well, well, then who really won? And you begin to lose faith in the system itself. So the conclusion, many of his defenders are saying, people are saying, well, you know, he really couldn't get involved is that the American people might be too upset by, by the fact of what really happened. And people, if that's his reason, that is the worst reason there could be. The fact is, by not getting involved, Attorney General Barr perpetuated the fraud that occurred. He allowed it to sit and somehow thought America was safer and better off to not expose the fraud, therefore opening us up to future fraud in future elections because we don't clean it up. And somehow that was a safer course. And that the people can't handle the truth. The people can't handle not having the truth. The people can't handle not having it. So I want to close out the first five. I'll get to Sidney Powell later because I want to bring our wonderful guest on. But this election cycle is about not just Republican versus Democrat, freedom of America versus socialist America. It is about whether we're going to have the rule of law and honest elections in America or not. Now is the time to pursue every single possible avenue to get to the truth of what happened in our election cycle. Now is the time, not later, not when we decide that there's a um, you know, good reason, we have a lull, everything seems peaceful, maybe we'll dive in right now, right now. Inauguration is not till January 20th. January 6th is still over a week away. It's almost two weeks away. It's two weeks away. Now, now is the time to fight, to say we demand the courts look at the evidence, we demand that the investigations occur, we demand the courts pay attention, and we demand the Republicans, and you like the Democrats too, but the Republicans at least, who stand up in the U.S. Congress and say, we have to get to the truth now. It's too late to fight later. It's too late after we get Biden inaugurated if he didn't win. It's too late. And I'll tell you something else, this whole, well, people can't handle this, you know, if we discover we had fraudulent elections. We have 75 million Americans who voted for Trump. They can't handle the idea that their election, their vote, their participation, our election system meant nothing because our very institutions who have the authority to look into it, look the other way, cover their eyes, cover their ears, and just said, can't do this, can't be involved. The 75 million Americans who are demanding the truth are still going to be there after January 20th. They're not going to take this fraud sitting down. They are not. And on Sydney Powell, just tell you, she is, uh, there's a great article, I will be perfectly honest, my wonderful husband wrote, uh, it's on an American thinker called Why Sydney Powell Gets a Galileo Treatment. Kind of runs through all the reasons why Sidney Powell, who is doing yeoman's work exposing the fraud in this election, why she is running into a brick wall because what she's exposing, it's kind of the same thing I'm worried that Barr is thinking. She is exposing the astonishing level of fraud that occurred in this election and far too many people just don't want to hear it. It's not good enough for America. It's not good enough for Trump voters. It's not good enough for our Constitution. America, the time to fight about this election is right now. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I mentioned we have a guest joining us, Dr. Simone Gold. She is the founder, the founder of America's Frontline Doctor. She's a, just a, a force to be reckoned with in the ongoing public discussion about COVID and coronavirus and what we're doing about it. So she founded um, that. She founded the uh, America's Frontline Doctors. Uh, she's a media guest all over uh, this country speaking up about dealing honestly with the virus and, and how we, what our policy should be in America. Uh, she had hosted a, a White House a first White Coat Summit in Washington in July, the second one uh, last October of 17th, of 17th. She has been in this fight about exposing whether or not the policies we've embraced to handle the coronavirus are necessary given uh, the reality, the truth about COVID-19. She's also the author of a new book. Matt, the wonderful, has a picture of it to put up to show you. 
Uh, this is her new book. Uh, I do not consent. First of all, I love that name. I do not consent my fight against medical cancel culture. And that is Simone Gold. You're looking at her right there. You'll see her on screen in just a moment. She's the author of that book. She's a doctor. She's a lawyer. And she's the leader, really, or a leader. The, the, I would say the leader of the movement in America to try to help Americans understand more about COVID-19 and what is a reasonable, fair policy reaction uh, to the presence of the virus in America. So without further ado, I believe we have, there she is. Hi, Dr. Gold. Good morning, uh, good afternoon. <laughs> sorry I can't be with you in Texas. I'm sorry too, it was great to have you in the studio. Whenever that was, that was a great, great interview. Um, but I wanna just jump in, there's so much going on um, and I'll just briefly go to your book first. I will tell you that on your book, I um, ordered it, so I have it on my um, happy iPad in front of me. I'll get the paper book, the, you know, the actual physical book tomorrow. Um, and I'm, I, love that you, I love the title, as I said, I, I do not consent. My fight against medical cancel culture. I just wanted to start by this very simple thing. You were talking about in the first chapter of the book, you had a patient uh, as COVID was beginning to be known in America, had a patient with coronavirus, uh, treated him or her with hydroxychloroquine, and you got a call from the doctor uh, who was the hospital's medical director where you were working, challenging your prescribing of hydroxychloroquine to deal with COVID. So just start with that story. Had that ever, that kind of thing ever happened before? No, so I've been a board certified emergency doctor for 20 years and at no time do doctors ever really just weigh in on other doctors' care. It just doesn't happen outside of residency training. So I'm, you know, a long time out of my residency training and it was so peculiar that I said to my medical director, you know, are you noticing that your own behavior is very abnormal? Why would you um, care what I'm doing with my patient? We, we never weigh in on each other's behavior like that. And he said that he thought hydroxychloroquine didn't work for COVID-19. And I said, no problem, then you shouldn't use it. But I've read all the studies, I'm certain it works. And that was my introductory lesson into how odd a time period we were entering such that doctors were now going to tell other doctors what to do and not based on the science, mind you. You know, all the science supports hydroxychloroquine and zinc. It was simply the media, really, that was saying that it didn't work. You know, at this point now, many months later, we have about 200 studies that show that hydroxychloroquine and zinc work. And it's really been a crime against humanity that so many people had to die or get extremely sick when there's a safe easy to take, generic, widely available medication. It's really a shame. And by the way, it gets very sinister. I don't know if you saw the news story this week that uh, one of the largest supply chain points for hydroxychloroquine, a, a pharmaceutical manufacturing plant, had a very large fire. Unex wait, wait, is this in Taiwan? Yes, yes. Okay, do you know anything more than what you just said? This is a supplier of hydroxychloroquine plant went up in flames in Taiwan. Yeah, I, I will just say that it's really, really suspicious. I, I'm pointing it out. I don't like to, you know, trade in quote unquote conspiracy theories. So I'm just putting it out there for your listeners that, you know, this is a really big deal that this this safe, cheap, easy, effective medication, you know, everyone in the world is trying to suppress it. And then there's doctors out there that are trying really all over the world. There's doctors all over the world like myself, really trying to bring the truth to the American people. We can never forget that at the end of this, there's a human being who needs help, right? There's a person who has chest pain or shortness of breath, fever, terrible pneumonia, you know, they need help. And we have oh the help. Yes. One more thing in your book, and I will say, uh, Dr. Gold, when I get your paper book and I read it all, and we'll talk another time, I'm just in the first chapter, but you also wrote about after this, this medical director called you to, to question your prescribing hydroxychloroquine, uh, you uh, had a conversation, but he's, you recount him as having said, he flat out told me I was irritating the powerful consortium affiliated with our hospital, the largest of its kind in the U.S., encompassing hospitals, clinics, blah, blah, uh, for three quarters of a century. And essentially, so he was letting you know in that one conversation that prescribing it was going against the whole medical kind of, we made the policy, we made the decision, so you're, you're making us look bad. Is that an accurate description of it? Yeah, that was, I'm glad you reminded me, that was like the strangest part. It wasn't as though we disagreed that, you know, medically this was like a bad medical judgment call. He didn't really care at all. He wasn't ideological about the patient's best interest. <laughs> he just didn't want to upset the, the food cart, so to speak. You know, the hospital was giving him a hard time because the insurance company was giving him a hard time, and that was it. It had nothing to do with the well-being of the patient. You know, my dad's a doctor, and, my, yeah, you know, I, I, 
I can't process this. You know, if there's a person in front of me and I have the capacity to help that person, that's what I'm going to do. That's it. And, you know, I say that the, what I'm focusing on more now is the vaccine issue. And, and but the way I see them to tie together is we've had these you know, forces at work telling us that a 65-year-old medication that is safe, that is generic, that is widely available, that's been used billions of times across the planet for 65 years. We, we had all these people telling us it's not safe. And now we have the same people telling us that a three-month-old brand-new technology is safe. Okay? I don't understand how anybody's falling for this. I, I don't either. And actually, that, that was, I have a list of topics that was definitely on this. I'll jump to vaccines now. I know that, unfortunately, there's been much messaging out of Washington, people being told, look, you know, everyone just better stay at home, keep your mask on, keep your goggles on, don't go anywhere, socially distance until we have the vaccine. That was kind of the being, being painted as a panacea to fix everything. But, you know, to start with, before we get to the merits of the vaccine, in this context where, as you've described before in this show, other shows, you know, the uh, hydroxychloroquine treatment works well, the vast majority of patients recover from coronavirus without uh, without needing to be hospitalized, without serious side effects. I mean, it's uncomfortable and they go through like having the flu, but that whether vaccine at all was necessary was one question. Isn't that right, given the survival rate? Right, so when you look at the CDC's own numbers, if you're under 20, your odds of survival are 99.997%. If you're under 50, your odds of survival is 99.98%. Even if you're under 69 or under, your odds of survival are 90.2%. It's only when you get to be over age 70, typically with comorbid conditions, do you have a lethality rate or a death rate of around 5%. So, so the answer is really no. You should not be taking an experimental medication for something that doesn't cause you a life-threatening situation. Okay, and so where we are on these vaccines, the other thing, this is just so great to have you today. Another thing that was being discussed about the uh, vaccine was at least in some vaccine manufacturers, and I'm asking if this is accurate, they're, they're able to put some component in it that permitted a, a person, once they had been vaccinated, to have someone be able to uh, re assess them without ever actually having to uh, draw blood and test them, just assess them. The presence of the vaccine in their system would be evident by someone running a test on a, on a phone or some way. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, so I, I've heard of this. I can't speak of it intelligently. It's not something I've, uh, we have personally investigated. What is for sure is that if you choose to get the vaccine, you are signing yourself up for an experimental medical trial, the largest of its kind. We don't normally roll out experimental medical trials to millions of people at once. This is completely brand new. The way you know you're in experimental trials, first of all, the pharmaceutical companies have uh, submitted their applications as investigational agents. So it's that's the standard. It's adjudicated under the standard applied to an experimental status medication. And the third component is you will be enrolled in a pharmacovigilance tracking system. So the federal government through the Department of Defense, I believe, gave a contract to Oracle and Google to develop a pharmacovigilance tracking system. What this means is you are going to be tracked for two years to see your side effects. Now you say to yourself, if I went to the doctor and I got a measles shot, Nobody was tracking me. That's the difference, my friends, is you're not getting an established medicine. You are enrolling yourself in a medical trial. You may choose to do that, but you certainly shouldn't be mandated to do that, and you need to understand that's what you're doing. So there's definitely, there's some pharmacovigilance tracking. It's already part of the system. To answer your specific question, I'm not certain yet. I will get back to you. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, so I'm going to turn Dr. Fauci for a moment. He's been warning uh, one more recent statement he made just, I think, uh, two, yesterday. Uh, he warned of a post-seasonal surge uh, in America, of likely surging cases in America um, moving forward. Uh, and he said in part because of the holiday season and people got together. What is your assessment of the, the way this uh, disease is spreading in America? Are we, are we seeing more cases because of people's failure to comply with all the mandates and the shutdowns and the distancing? Uh, are we, I mean, Fauci, is, it was kind of a scolding message because you people celebrated Hanukkah and Christmas, now we're in trouble. Do you, do you have a sense whether that's fair? Yeah, I, I've never in my entire career met a physician like Dr. Fauci, and I hope I never do. I don't know what 
Okay? He is just so into making Americans afraid. And I just want to tell Americans, stop living in fear. I don't know what his motivation is. I try not to speculate. But if you look at the hard data, most people can go about live their full everyday life. You know, I, I don't understand this fear mongering. Please, America, educate yourself. Your chance of, of surviving this is well over 99% unless you're over 69 with comorbid conditions. I, I don't understand this fear mongering. And you know what, honestly, and I, I try not to say negative things about Fauci for many months now, but I, you know, his latest uh, diatribe just, just really got me as a scientist. When a scientist, a pseudoscientist is what he is, when a pseudoscientist admits in public on, on air that he is moving the goalposts based upon how Americans feel on a topic, my God, that is not a scientist. That is the opposite of scientists. A scientist talks about truth as they discover it in the lab or as they discover it with clinical trials. He literally admitted that I am changing what I am saying based upon how people feel on a subject. Nobody can consider him a scientist. It's absolutely impossible. Okay, actually, to what you're referring, I believe, or maybe it's something else, but he ch acknowledged he was changing what his advice with respect to herd immunity. Like he was first saying, well, I think it was, I think his first number was 60%, uh, then, then we'll all be okay, and he's pushing it up. Now he's into the 90s. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, the reason I'm talking about that is because the, the proper role of a scientist, and the only reason you would give a scientist any more credit than a person at the dry cleaner is because <laughs> hold themselves to a higher standard of objective truth, all right? You can choose to believe them or not, but we all are operating under the assumption that the scientist is telling us the truth as they collect it. He literally admitted that what he is telling the American people is not his understanding of the truth, but his understanding of the American psyche ability to hear what he has to say. That is the opposite of being a scientist. Absolutely. And I want to think, I thought the herd immunity, I don't know if I talk about with you or another doctor on my show, but the concept of herd immunity wasn't at all necessarily related to a vaccine. It was a notion enough people got exposed to it and their bodies, they developed antibodies that you had a majority or some specific uh, significant segment of the society able to uh, fight off the virus because they had, they had the developed immunity. Herd immunity wasn't tied to having received a vaccine. Now it sounds like they're talking about herd immunity as because we get enough people vaccinated. Isn't that a shift? Um, no, so herd immunity is very much tied to vaccines. The concepts okay. are, basically you get any time you get, you get herd immunity to any infectious disease. That's just how life works for, you know, for millennia. So enough people get something and then the virus or bacteria has kind of nowhere to go and it sort of dies out. That's the concept. So vaccination does get you quicker to herd immunity. So does getting the disease. The tricky thing about herd immunity in this context is by blood tests, it seems as though 20% of people in any community that, that develop the antibodies to COVID, then the death rates go down, which implies that there's a whole percent of people out there that are actually immune that were not registering by a blood test. Because we expected that when people hit 70% in the community, deaths would go down, but we're seeing that all over the world at 20%. We think that that missing piece may be T-cell immunity, which is not measured in the blood. I'm talking about that because we we believe, scientists mostly, we think we might already be at herd immunity, like around like 70%. And for him to throw in this monkey wrench of like, we have to get to 80 or 85 or 90, it's like the man is just trying to make us afraid. We, we Many of us believe we're already at herd immunity. I will say there's another doctor in Texas who I haven't had him on my show, but he's been a, a friend who had him on the show, uh, said that exactly that. He said, I, I think we've are, we're already at herd immunity um, yeah. because of the number of people who have been exposed. So I mean, I mean, to precisely say my question, herd immunity is, you're saying, is accentuated or assisted by vaccines, but it's also, you count people in it who didn't get vaccine, vaccinated, but who developed the antibodies, correct? Uh, the only, in fact, yeah. the only people who are immune people had the antibodies or had the illness. The problem with the, this particular experimental vaccine, and you should never call it a vaccine, it's an experimental vaccine. You okay. can say an experimental therapeutic or an experimental biological agent, but the keyword is experimental. 
We actually don't know if it's really giving people immunity. You know, the Surgeon General went on Good Morning America, I think about 10 days ago, and, and admitted this to everybody, that this really, we don't even think it reduces transmission. We think it's just reducing the symptoms. It's making people into perhaps asymptomatic carriers. It's, it's crazy to be willing to say to millions of people until we have these questions answered. Okay, let's turn to masks. There was a data, you, I know you read a lot, you may have already seen this, but in Tennessee, there was a, a gentleman who put a study together, essentially contrasting data for masked versus unmasked counties in Tennessee. And I'll tell my listeners, by the way, at my website, americacanwetalk.org, this and all the other articles to which I'm referring are linked. If you go to americacanwetalk.org on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, you can read this and all other ones. But basically, there's a guy arguing in Tennessee that didn't seem to be any difference between masked and unmasked um, counties enforcing mask ordinances or not versus uh, how whether or not they got um, they contracted. So what's your sense about this ongoing push toward masks? I mean, we know we talked about it before, but uh, doesn't, doesn't data like this, is, are you familiar with that study, by the way, the Tennessee study? I, I am actually, it crossed my path. Uh, yeah, so, well, first of all, obviously, I just want to say obviously, <laughs> you know, the mask, the pore size of the mask is 200 to 1,000 times the size of the virus. It's like throwing sand at a chain link fence. So obviously it is irrelevant. If we've always known this prior to COVID, there was never any pretense that a surgical mask or bandana would keep out a 0.1 micron size strand of RNA. You know, the virus is 50 times smaller than a bacteria. These are the smallest living things that exist. The, the masks are totally, totally irrelevant. My big concern about masks is that we, we rushed into forcing Americans to wear what's essentially an article of clothing on their face without any legislative input, just saying, oh, it's making people feel better. Of course the masks don't work. Okay, well actually, since you got to the uh, forcing of Americans, I wanna switch then, because you have the great virtue of being a medical doctor, practicing medical doctor, and also a trained lawyer. And you said this many times, and I, you know I'm a thousand percent with you, this idea, this COVID is, it is a challenge and the medical community has to work on it. Everybody has to decide what treatments and, or should be available and how we distribute them and all that. But the larger thing, it's, it's the most astonishing time in America is we are watching ourselves submit to, I use the word tyranny, you can pick a different word, but we are watching ourselves submit to regulations that limit our very lives, our freedom, our ability to, to move about normally, to function, to have, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah get-togethers with your families to go to the mall if you want to. And, and all of it, or virtually all of it, is coming out of executive fiat, whether it's a county official, a, a governor. And I see this as, as a more of a danger to America than just the, the disease itself. So I'd love to have you address that as a doctor and a lawyer. You know, I, 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 I'm speechless as what's happened to our country, how quickly we've given up legal rights, constitutional rights in favor of the executive branch just saying whatever they feel like. So, of course, the governors have been uniformly disastrous in terms of enforcing constitutional rights. And then at the county level, it's been pretty terrible as well, many counties. Um, what I can say is people must resist unconstitutional edicts. They're, they're simply against the constitutional. constitution. We have, as you well know, inalienable rights given to us not by the government, so the government can't take them away. Your right, right. to talk, your right to sing, your right to pray, your right to assemble, your right to meet with your friends, your right to go to work. This is an inalienable right. It's been well established in American jurisprudence. So it's uh, it's tragic. We bring many lawsuits. Many more lawsuits will be brought. And I encourage all Americans to resist as much as you can. Okay, when you say you, we bring lawsuits, America's frontline doctors involved in litigation challenging some of these uh, edicts? Uh, yes, I, some of, I'm doing some work separate from America's Frontline Doctors, and America's Frontline Doctors expects to bring a pretty big lawsuit imminently. We simply didn't file it because of all of the uncertainty around the election, um, but you'll hear about it in January. Oh, I'm thrilled to hear about it already. Uh, also, on your website, uh, and again, I want to urge people to go to America's Front, 
I'm going to say it very slowly, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Uh, they have a great mission statement, first of all, which I urge you to read. It's linked on our website. It's basically talking about the doctor-patient relationship is supposed to be central. That's the idea of freedom and free health care and the right of the individual citizen to take care of his or her, his or her own health. That's a great thing. And then you also have uh, a petition on the website uh, that actually takes you, if you go to americasfrontlinedoctors.com, it takes you to a petition calling, uh, calling for stop medical discrimination, petition to stop forced experimental vaccines. And I think at least when I logged on, you had 61,000 uh, signatures, which is quite a few. So I urge people to do that as well. I mean, where Dr. Gold is talking about standing up. This is another way to do it. So tell us what else, Dr. Gold, people can do to support you and what you're doing. Thank you so much. You know, it's really critical that um, at the intersection of medicine and law, you know, that's where I live. I don't like as a physician forcing anybody to take an experimental medication. People who are getting vaccines are different than people who have diseases. People who are taking vaccines typically are healthy. If you don't give them the vaccine, they will continue to be healthy. So you have to be very, very sure that the vaccine is not going to harm a healthy person. We are not at that point yet. So to take experimental vaccine for sure. That's me taking my Hippocratic oath saying that. On the opposite end is the legal aspect of this. We are moving towards forcing people to take modality. Therefore, we thing called stop medical discrimination. We don't want to be discriminating against people who choose not to take experimental biological agents. So go to stopmedicaldiscrimination.org. Please sign. America's Frontline Doctors has made this our pretty central mission, and we are going to be pushing back on any private businesses or government branches that think that this is a good idea to mandate experimental vaccines. We are strongly against that. We oppose it. We are but we need to speak on behalf of as many Americans as possible. We would like to have a million people sign. Stopmedicaldiscrimination.org. Love that. Again, that's also linked on our website, americacanwetalk.org. It's a great petition. And, you know, I'll just close out by saying this. I, as I say, I love that you are both a trained and practicing medical doctor and a trained lawyer because I think that both are relevant for America moving forward to figure out how we deal with this virus, how we deal with the challenges to it. Um, and I think that this idea of this forced vaccinations, I think that people, um, you know, the arguments become so strong in America, springing off of the fear implanted in the minds and hearts of Americans by uh, people so afraid about the uh, disease itself that they're just almost accepting any kind of regulation, tyranny, control over their lives. And that fear is being planted by people who are allowing the fear to spread, encouraging wearing masks and making ominous predictions about the future. The fear happens and it makes people then think, well, since it's such a radical and, and dangerous disease, the only answer I have is I better just go along with whatever is being forced on me. And so things you might normally resist. So getting to the vaccine is, you talk about forced vaccinations for uh, experimental dr uh, drugs and then the consequences of that, you're going to end up with people being told, well, you know, uh, uh, you can't get on the airplane, you can't come to our restaurant, you can't come to this grocery store chain. Is that the kind of thing you're concerned about, Dr. Gold? Yes, we are, we are gravely concerned about the infringement on civil liberties and freedom if you don't allow yourself to be coerced to take an experimental vaccine. I always need to say that I have been fully vaccinated as a board-certified emergency physician, it was required of me. This is not an ideological problem I have with vaccines. All of the physicians on our vaccine subcommittee with AFLDS, we've all been vaccinated. So this is not that. This is an abridgment of our civil liberties to say an airline or an Uber driver can require you to have an experimental biological agent. And by the way, I have empathy and sympathy for the average American who just wants to get their life back to normal. But you've been sold a bill of goods. You have been told that if you get this vaccine, your life is going to go back to normal. It is absolutely not true. Fauci and others have said, if you get the vaccine, you still have to wear the mask. You still have to social distance. They've agreed, and, and pharmaceutical companies, that the vaccine has not been shown to reduce transmission between people. Your life is not going to go back to normal because you get the vaccine. Life will go back to normal when people start saying no. 
That is a perfect ending to a fabulous interview. I, Dr. Gold, I'm so glad you're available today. I thank you so much for all that you're doing um, for the website that you have. I didn't even get into discussing again today all the great information available on your website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Information galore, great little videos, easy to listen to, easy to follow. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a tribute to your determination. So just thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you so much. Great to have you. I got to tell you folks, I do encourage you to go to that website, americasfrontlinedoctors.com. Amazing videos and information. I want to springboard off what she was talking about with, with uh, three quick stories to tell you. So the level of, and she's talking about Americans have to stand up, Americans have to fight. It's just like on the election and, and getting to the truth. We must stand up now related to how much oppression of our freedom is happening due to COVID-related regulations. So I sent Matt the Wonderful several videos. Um, and so the first one, I think, uh, this is from a guy, and this went viral, so you may have seen it, but it was a guy in a Covina, uh, a restaurant owner, Covina, California, um, who is just uh, you know, outraged about the fact that his restaurant, I think it's like a bar restaurant type thing, uh, is again being harassed by the, the health inspectors due to COVID and what he did to fight back. Here's the video. Oh yeah, because yeah, he wants to come in here and say no one can work, so he can't work either. Where do you work? Bread and barley, right there. Are you, uh, what's his name? I'm Carlos Roman. This guy, The owner of Bread and Barley? Okay. So you're the owner of Bread and Barley? So, this guy's saying that you can't work? Yes. Health department. Yeah, the health department? Yeah, he decided to come today and take pictures of people outside and say that you got to find us and we can't work out here. I'm desperate. Who's going to pay her parking? Who's going to pay my cook's rent? Listen, I will get a supervisor out here for you, but just so it's not hard on us, the traffic can go. I want it to be hard on everyone. I want everyone to see how hard this Okay, I, I can jump in and tell you. You see what he's doing? That he, with his truck, blockaded in the car of one of the health inspectors who showed up to shut down him and other bars and restaurants and take pictures and uh, keep track of who actually uh, sat too close together, wherever, wherever that health inspector was looking into. This is the level of desperation people are getting to. And he's making the point to this police officer, the police officer has been called because the guy can't get his car out because this owner of the bar has blocked his car in. He's saying, who's gonna pay, you know, who's gonna pay my staff? He, it was a long litany he did, I didn't play it all, but who's gonna pay, you know, my rent for my chef? Who's gonna pay, who's gonna pay for these people? You won't let us be in business. And so he's saying, if I can't work, I can't get paid, neither can the health inspector. And this is just the very beginning of civil disobedience. I cannot tell you how much, how strongly I support this form of civil disobedience. People do not accept for a moment that once the vaccine is here, that's what we just heard from Dr. Gold, do not accept for a moment that once the vaccine is here, life goes back to normal. They're already talking about another phase of the, you know, another iteration of the, whatever you call it, of, of this disease. And then there's the, the next one. And then it turns out the vaccine doesn't help the next iteration of this disease only helps this. So you still have to be shut down even after you've all gotten vaccinated. Fauci's telling us you still have to socially distance and you still have to mask yourselves and you still have to stay home. This will not end. This is being used to impose tyranny on America. This is a kind of rebellion needed right now, not later. One more video I sent Matt the Wonderful. If we have it. Very well, like Marie said, very free, enjoyed our lives. Gotta stop thinking like a victim criminal mentality. As the victim, oh, I'll just do whatever the criminal tells me to do. They'll let me go when I'm done. They don't want to let us go. They want complete freaking control of us. They don't want us going back to normality. So this is the time we got to stand up. Every freaking business has got to stand up and put these sons of bitches down. Amen. Because if we don't, they're taking us out. That's right. I'm 60 freaking years old. I've lived all my life as an American. And Robbie's right. This isn't about Democrat or Republican. This is about American. That's right. And I am not ready to give my country up to these people so that they can ruin my life, everybody's life in here. We got to stop them. We got to grow this group. Like Marie said, here, state, country, global. We got to really do this. This is, this is the time to be serious. If we're not serious now, and it ain't going to take them long, you're looking at six, eight months. This coming summer could be an absolute freaking disaster for freedom, for patriots, for this country. Right. We got to do this now.
Okay, that guy's wound up. And actually, I'll tell you one other thing. I didn't get the video, but there was a great video last, or maybe like two or three weeks ago. I think she's in California. Yeah, Los Angeles. A woman named Angela Marsden. She owns a place called Pineapple Hill Grill and Saloon. She's having a meltdown in the parking lot because she's been shut down. She, so she had to have outside seating put out. And then they told her, no, your outside seating wasn't okay. And so then in her big parking lot where she could have no business open, there was a permit given to some Hollywood filmmaker to set up a set in the parking lot where she can't have her business, but they can have some idiotic you know, movie being filmed with all these people sitting and standing close together. And she's having a meltdown too. So this is a, you know, I said in the beginning of the show when I was talking about um, the, the uh, COVID and then talking about the election, now is the time to fight. These people, I, I don't mean to pick on Fauci personally because it's not just him. It's the whole mindset of leftism that's saying America Ha, these these people think they have too much freedom. They don't listen. They need to be they need to be suppressed. They need to be taught. They are they must submit that we will tell them where, when they can go out and what they have to wear in their face and where they can go to church services and where they can go to the synagogue and where they can gather in public and where they can have their business open. And if we don't fight now, people, it will be too late. This guy, I don't even know who this guy is. I don't even know who the group was he was talking to, but he made that video talking to a bunch of people. It kind of looked like a warehouse or something, but he's saying now is the time to fight. And he's right. He's right. When you have edicts like we've had all over this country, unjustified by the danger of the disease, and then impending edicts about vaccines, unjustified by the danger of the disease, we have to wake up and recognize these people are not regulating our behavior in order to fight a lethal bubonic plague. They're using the presence of COVID and the coronavirus to introduce to America the concept, you don't have freedom anymore. You don't have God-given freedom, even though the declaration says you do, and even though the constitution was created to give you that freedom, you only have the freedom the government tells you. That is what the message is of the left. And that is why you're seeing rebellions like this. You're going to see more and more and more and more. We don't have to put up with this. And if we do, then we are responsible for surrendering our freedom. Huge, huge issue. Now is the time to fight. I said at the start of the show, now is the time to fight. Yeah, now is the time to fight, not later now. They're calling this the Pineapple Revolt, by the way, because this lady who started it, her place was called Pineapple Hill Grill and Saloon. Um, Saloon in LA. Okay, one of the quick things before I turn to my last quick topic today, my last quick topic today uh, is um, going to be about the uh, Pence and potential power. I'm going to have to leave Nashville out of it for today. I'm going to get to Pence and the potential power. And actually, this fits in well with this. So, one reason that elected members of the House and Senate give for not standing up for Trump is because you know, in this, in this assault on the Trump presidency, this attempt to steal what was a clear Trump victory in the 2020 elections, one reason you hear given by, uh, on behalf or excuse given for Republican House and Senate members is, well, you know, Trump is kind of out there. You know, he was not an insider to start with. You know, he's kind of a, you know, he's his own guy. He doesn't, he doesn't play by the rules. He doesn't, he's not a Republican establishment. He's an outsider and, you know, he's unpredictable and he's not part of the ruling elite and he doesn't understand how the game is played. They, they, they excuse their cowardice in not standing up for him by saying, well, you know, he's kind of out there and he's not, he's not really Republican. He's kind of, you know, he's a different thing. Great poll. Before I get to what Pence can do about this great poll uh, about by um, Rasmussen uh, of Republicans, what percent of Republicans do you think say they see Trump as the model for the party's future? I mean, if Trump is such an outsider and not a real Republican, wouldn't that number be like you know 12 percent? The number, the percentage of Republicans who see Trump as the model for the party's future, 72 percent. Which leads me to the last story for the day. I'm gonna, I can't, I'm gonna skip my last little. Um, I was gonna do one more segment after this about Nashville, but I'm not. I'm gonna close out with this. There is a battle royale going on in Washington on the question of whether or not, when the January 6th hearing or January 6th uh, meeting happens in Congress, which is the whole House, the whole Senate, not run by Pelosi or uh, McConnell, but actually run by the sitting vice president, which is Vice President Pence, 
that meeting when the electoral college results are mailed in and they sit there with a stack of envelopes and they start with the A's and they open it up to see who the electors are. And they're literally, it's, it's usually very pro forma, just you know, run through, it's already been solved, already been done. But this year, everyone's focused more than ever on the question of whether or not there is any continuing ability of anyone to challenge the electors elected in states where clearly the states violated federal law by making new law concerning elections in their states, but not law by the legislature, making new up edicts from the governor's office, from election officials, changing the rules without the legislature being part of that. And then the massive fraud we've been talking about on the show for weeks, the people stuffing ballot boxes, the massive magical ballots that showed up in the middle of the night. Trump is on his path to victory. You can see it in the numbers. And all of a sudden, these states shut down counting and hordes, I mean, hundreds of thousands of ballots dropped into these states from the massive mail-in uh, ballot fraud escapade. And virtually all of them are for Biden. And lo and behold, magically, Biden won those states. In those states where there's that kind of controversy, the question is, in Congress, clearly, if you got a majority of the House members and a majority of the Senate members to reject the electors, then you can throw out those electors' votes. But the question, that, and, and that is clear in law, but the question is, does Vice President Pence, under, and I'll tell you what the source of the law are, sources are, Article 2 of the Constitution, Compounded with the 12, combined with the 12th Amendment and 3 U.S. Code Section 15. Those three pieces of, of, of law taken together are argued by many to mean that when the votes get to Congress on January 6th, Vice President Pence has the authority to reject electors whose choice was made coming from states where they basically didn't follow the law, where they permitted massive fraudulent voting, or, or they, whether they, they facilitated the fraud, they enabled it, they didn't fight it. The argument is, does Pence have that authority under these? And many people are saying, yes, Pence has absolute authority. He could open those and say, are you kidding? You know, this state, you didn't follow the law, we're not counting your electors. So that is where many people, and I want to tell you a moment, what is going on with this, but so Pence, you know, by many people's read, has that authority. And so you know what's happening, and this is uh, truly, um, it, it's, it's just a, it's a, you know, unprecedented American history kind of thing. In addition to the, that fact, the following states sent in two sets of electors, sent in envelopes with two sets of electors. One, apparently, what the fraudulent election uh, came out with, as, which would be for Biden, and the other probably issued by the legislature saying, no, actually, when you look at the legal votes, uh, this should be Trump. So those states are Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, New Mexico, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, New Mexico, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, seven states where they sent in two sets of electors. So your Vice President Pence, and you're sitting there on January 6th, and you are deciding uh, whether to accept these electors or which set of votes uh, of electors you're going to accept. The question is, under those three things I said, Article 2 of the Constitution, and then the 12th Amendment of the Constitution, and then 3 U.S.C. 15, does Pence have the right to say, I'm not counting these electors at all. They just don't count. Can Pence do that? Many people say he can, and if you want to, it, it's very interesting how this would occur uh, because Pence is being brought up to speed, I'm sure, on all of these uh, situations in each of these individual states. But if all seven of those states, I just listed, if all seven are rejected by Pence, you then have the electoral count would be President Trump has 232 votes and Biden will have 222. Trump would have 232, Biden would have 222. So Trump would win if Pre Vice President Pence is willing to throw out these electors' votes. 
and is viewed to have the authority to do that. And this is what the legal battle now is. And I'll close out the show by telling you uh, that Congressman Gohmert, a frequent guest on this show, Congressman Louis Gohmert from the great state of Texas, um, and others have filed a lawsuit uh, against Vice President Pence. And it's not really against him, but it is, you know, his, he has to be a party to the litigation. Uh, it is essentially asking a court to rule that uh, portions of the Electoral Count Act of 1887, that 3 U.S. Code 15, uh, essentially asking the court to clarify that Pence has that authority, that Pence can just dismiss these electors. So it is a very, very interesting time in America. Um, I will tell you folks, I think that the pressure on the vice president, huge pressure, of course, from the Democrat media mob to say, you can't overturn an election. You can't do that. No overturning elections. But what he would really be doing if he does do this, if it gets to this point, what he will be doing is actually not overthrowing the outcome of an election. He will be enabling the accurate. He will be rewarding the actual winner of this election. But very, very high stakes. Vice President Pence may have had future political ambitions. Obviously, whichever way he goes, half of America is not going to be happy. Um, I hope and pray that as he looks at closely at the evidence in these states and realizes how much fraud there was, that he is not willing to perpetuate that fraud by accepting those electors and will simply just toss them out. And then we're at a place where we are now is already way beyond you know, novel territory, but we'll be in a place where America will have all eyes on Washington on January 6th to see what Vice President Pence does. And then, therefore, everything happening between now, today, uh, this Monday, December 28th, and January 6th, a week from Wednesday, all of what happens is in, in terms of exposing more fraud, explaining the fraud, letting people see what the fraud was, all of that, all of that will weigh into people's hearts and minds and considerations. Members of Congress, whether they're willing to go along to challenge the electors, members of the House, members of the Senate, whether Vice President Pence is willing to do that, all of that will be, uh, all the information people gain between now and then about how much fraud occurred will allow, uh, hopefully give more and more courage uh, to Vice President Pence to do what I'm saying is the right thing, which is not to reward a fraudulent election in these various states, but to in fact refuse to give power to a fraudulent election and throw those electors out. More on this tomorrow, I'm out of time. Um, I do want to tell you, as I do at the close of every show, why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today, our very first um, topic. We start election status, uh, why it matters to you. I think Matt the Wonderful has this. Maybe it doesn't. Okay, let me just read them. There he is. Okay, election status. Seth Holhouse, a video. I want. Oh, you gotta see this video. It's linked on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Seth Holhouse video tweeted out twice by Trump, worth watching. He runs through a lot we've been saying, but very, very well done video. Uh, Mo Brooks says he now has, who's a congressman from Louisiana, Republican Louisiana, says he now has dozens of House members still in the fight, willing to challenge electors. Sidney Powell gets a Galileo treatment, which uh, was the article I mentioned my husband wrote. The basic thing when Galileo tried to let the world know that actually uh, the sun, uh, that the earth rotated around the sun, that the earth wasn't the, the center of the universe because people couldn't handle the truth, they uh, you know, treated him like he was a bad guy, he was a wrong guy, uh, and he gets uh, punished. Galileo did, much as Sidney Powell is being punished. Uh, more on that tomorrow by uh, her willingness and her determination to keep speaking truth. Analyst Bobby Pitton, 500,000 fictitious voter names in Pennsylvania. That's what he's essentially saying. 72% of Americans say Trump is, a, is the model for a strong Republican future. Yet, New York Post throws in the towel, calls for Trump's concession. Evidence of voting fraud and election fraud mounting every day. Why the GOP surrender? If the roles are reversed, Democrats would never surrender. That's another reason, my friends, to push the Republicans. Just picture the opposite. If all the roles of the parties were reversed, the Democrats would never give up on their president if they thought that a Democrat had won the presidency. They'd never stop fighting. And that's how our guys better get. So Americans ask, is it time for a new party because you can't get the GOP to fight? And on Pence's potential power, Vice President Mike Pence is president of the U.S. Senate by the terms of the Constitution. 
President of the Senate has constitutional responsibility to open the state-by-state -state electoral votes and count them on January 6, 2021. Seven states have submitted alternative sets of electors, one set for Trump, one for Biden. Pence appears to have unappealable discretion as to whether to count the votes of a particular set of electors and as to which set of electors to count. Legal theories abound as to the scope of Pence's discretion to count or not count the votes of electors from states which, one, suffered disqualifying levels of voting and election fraud, or two, did not conduct their elections in accordance with constitutional requirements. Pence's decisions as to seven states are enough to determine who shall be president. And America literally hangs in the balance. How will Mike Pence answer the call? And that, my very fine friends, is my show for today. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time, except this week, because it's a holiday week. I'm doing today's show and tomorrow's show, and then I'll be back on Monday, January 4th, and back to our regular schedule, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time for America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you